Remain standing with me just for a moment. It is my honor today to introduce our speaker. First, I guess I should pause for a second to say that while I am so blessed today, three of the most influential men in my life are present today. My father is here. I'm glad he is here today. Our bishop is here. Glad he is here today. And our speaker, Brother Mitchell. I am blessed and have been blessed and my family has been blessed by the Mitchell family. Our church has been blessed by the Mitchells. Their influence so far supersedes their local assembly in which they so capably serve in Columbus, Indiana. I was speaking to one of our conference speakers just a few days ago and mentioned that Brother Mitchell was going to be with us. And the first response was, wow, what an incredible leader. Brother Mitchell has stood by me through thick and thin. Through some tough days, he has been a sounding board for me. He has influenced my life. He and Sister Mitchell mean the world to my wife and I. When it comes to special occasions such as this, I wanted to have somebody that I felt that I truly, as I sat to listen, that I can take every word to heart because I know that they live what they preach. And today, our speaker for this hour is one of my favorite people in all the world, a great leader, a great man of God, influential in my life. And whether he knows it or not, if he called me any time of the day or night, and gave direction to my life and spoke into my life, I can promise you I would respond to whatever he says. That's the kind of influence he has in my life. I love and appreciate Brother Dan Mitchell and Sister Joanne Mitchell. Would you make them feel very welcome to step to this podium and preach their heart to us today? We love you. God bless you. Oh, please be seated. Now I'm so messed up after that. I... Thank you very much. That means the world to me. And my wife and I are just honored to be a part of this church. And we consider what happens here is, is uh, just as excited as what would happen anywhere. I have to tell you, today is, there's nothing going on in the Midwest right now that's more exciting. Even the race in Indianapolis is not as exciting as what is happening here today. <laughs> I've had to control my breathing. I was so excited. I had to sit there. You know, they put a defibrillator in a few months ago, and that thing's doing all kinds of stuff. I'm, it has the paddles at the bottom. There's three wires, and the doctor said, if that one ever goes off, you're going to know it. And, uh, and so I, I was having to take some deep breaths and hope the paddles doesn't go off. I'm so excited. I went in the other day and asked the doctor, I said, you know, I've played softball my whole life. 
can I play softball? And he, I could tell he'd never been asked that question before because who with a defibrillator wants to play softball except this goofy guy right here? And he didn't know what to say for a while, and he finally said, well, do you run bases? I says, well, I wouldn't put a capital R on run, but uh, I do slide if I need to. And he went, oh. He says, my only problem, he says, I'm concerned if you head around second base and that paddles went off, you'd be out in left field doing a belly flop like this. So if you see me doing a belly flop, it's probably not the Holy Ghost. God is good and it's great to be here today. Wow, what a great day. And it didn't take me five seconds to say yes when the pastor asked me to come because you're so blessed. Your leadership is the best. And um, I'm just jealous. You know, I'm kind of a one, two-dimensional guy. I can do a couple little things, but your pastor and his wife, and, and then the, the Lytles, it just drives me crazy. How in the world the Lord let that much talent sit in one building? Something wrong with that. It ain't fair. But... <laughs> That's how blessed you are. And to the hardworking folks in this church, I, I, I just got to tell you, it's going to be hard to go back to church on the other side of town here next week because I'm in here. I'm so excited. I don't want to leave. I, I may preach 14 hours just because I'm excited. No. But uh, it is a great privilege for my wife and I to be here. and It's an honor because I love when the Lord prospers and his church prospers. And uh, a lot of people like to talk about the past. I'm still talking about the future. And uh, the past is wonderful. And I do talk about it. And I relish it. And I thank God for it. But brothers and sisters, onward we go. There's much to be done. America has lost its mind. Which means the church needs to get it in gear. We don't have time to wait till tomorrow. And hopefully some other time we will do what we need to do. This is our day. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing, whatever your circumstance, understand, whatever you need to do, get it in gear because this is our day right now. And it's a, it's a privilege and honor to be here and, and, uh, and uh, to the father and the mother, all that you put in your son. And I know you have to feel good today because you, this is yours. This is yours. And this church must be grateful to them. Because none of this could have happened without that. Amen. And, um, and to, to our Bishop Price, this is a good man. And he's the same man I, I met many, many years ago. And he's still strong and still loves and is still kind and gentle. He is a gentle giant. And he's a leader amongst all of us. And I give honor to you, Bishop, and I love you. God bless you. Um, I must confess that... Um, until a few days ago, I had a nice, formal, groundbreaking ceremony sermon, whatever that is. And I thought, well, I, I want to do good, and I want to be nice, and I don't want to sweat too much, and I don't want to scare anybody. And, 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 and then the Lord changed that. And 
And so, if it's all right with you, I, I need to preach what the Lord put on my heart. And, um, Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 19, says simply, but my God, somebody shout, my God. Now this time say it like it's really yours, not, not, you know how it is when someone, it's my toy, you know, and you see, you didn't say that's my toy, you said that's my toy. Somebody shout, my God, shall supply all your need according to his, his, not mine, not my rich uncle. <laughs> one I can't find, but his riches in glory. So I bring to you the word of the Lord today simply says, please don't limit God. I, um, Notice that people are standing in this room because there's not seats available. And I notice that you feel right at home and it seems like this room is, wow, comfortably full. We don't have a whole lot of room to expand. So it's fitting that I preach today on this topic. Let's pray. Father. You are the great I am, the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the power that's in Pentecost. You're the power that's in Christian life. You brought us to this fork in the road for a reason and for a purpose. You're watching us steadily from the balcony in heaven wondering how we're going to deal with this opportunity of whether we grasp hold of the brass ring or we lay back and just wait on it to happen. God, you're watching us closely right now. And I ask God that this become personal with every single one of us, including myself. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. This Philippian passage was written by Paul during the two years when he was in bonds. In fact, it says he was in a dungeon prison. You know, we, we might call it the hole here. You know, it was, it was dark and dreary and damp. And I'm sure they had a, a multiple uh, different kinds of insects and rodents and probably written in around A.D. 62 or the end of 61. You see, the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus, their messenger, with contributions to meet the necessities of the apostle. They were thinking like many of you have been doing, and I can tell you did all the right things here today. You put this beautiful gift basket in our room with all of these wonderful things in there, and you were thinking, you, you, you were working on I see everything that happens in this church, people are planning, thinking, and so the church there of uh, Philippi was, was thinking and they sent the messenger with contributions to, to meet the necessities of the apostle. 
On his return, Paul sent back with him this letter with this wonderful, precious communication as the messenger sets out on his homeward journey. Today, we sit here and we listen to this and we see what they did. And I think one of the things we need to take a good look at is the liberality of the Philippians. It comes out very conspicuously. This was a characteristic of the Macedonian mission. They're caring. They're, they're wanting to get it right. They, they're wanting to sacrifice for the good. Even in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, amplify and beautify these remarks. It said it, it's remarkable that the Macedonian converts were as a class of people very poor and their poverty and their open-handed support of the great missionary and his work was very generous and showed the harmony of that church. We're not people of wealth, but historically the people in Philippi were very, very poor. And yet they were thinking of the apostle. They made certain that he had what he needed, the provisions that he needed. Paul now is in prison. The contents of this epistle gives us an interesting insight into the condition of the church at Rome as we realize that Paul is in this dungeon. Yet Paul's imprisonment, we are informed, was no hindrance to his preaching the gospel, but rather turned out to become the catalyst for the furtherance of the gospel. Somebody preach with me today. It looked like it was time for lights out, write your last words, give your last message, tell everybody you love how important they are, and move on. But the scripture indicates, and history says, that Paul's imprisonment and the people of Philippi's poor poverty was no hindrance to the gospel. They didn't allow their circumstances to keep them from doing what God had caused them to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, please don't limit God. History says that the gospel spread very extensively among the Roman soldiers. And Roman soldiers were saved and baptized. And, and the word got out through the prison. Here we have this man, he's in prison. And if anybody had the right to sit back, and just kind of <clears throat> mull over and, and pout and be angry and be upset with God, it would have been Paul. He didn't do anything to be to deserve what was happening, and yet Paul in prison, he doesn't forget why the Lord put him on this earth. And it didn't make any difference whether he was abounding or whether it seemed like he was abased. It made no difference to Paul. He just kept doing what the Lord had called him to do. I believe I'm looking at a people here today that are steadfast, unmoving, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. There was a vast multitude in Rome then was brought into the church and baptized because this man, he did not stop preaching even in prison. The Macedonians' poverty nor Paul's imprisonment in the dungeon hindered the gospel. Because God turned their mourning into 
dancing. He used chains and poverty to grow his church. He used chains and poverty to grow his church because they just kept right on giving in regardless of their circumstances. God kept right on blessing and the church prospered. I like being around the kind of people that their attitude is simply, we're going to take the city no matter. I like hanging out with people that don't just make excuses for failure. That's not permissible. Unfortunately, they just keep on failing and they keep on succeeding. Thomas Edison says, I have never failed. I have just found 10,000 reasons why I can do something different. And brothers and sisters, in what you're about to embark on, there's going to be failures. Don't panic. Don't give up. Keep your hand to the plow. And please don't limit God. Somebody shout, but my God. Come on, somebody say it, but my God. Oh, come on, reach out and speak it. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Gideon, you don't need 32,000 soldiers. In fact, I'm going to take 22,000 of them away. And you're only going to have 10,000 left. And as a commander that you're about to take on tens of thousands of the enemy's soldiers, you have to feel a little anxious that now God's making you fight this battle with fewer. And then about the time that Gideon was about to figure out how he could deal with only 10,000 soldiers, the Lord walks back into his life and he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to give him a test. And when the test at the little river was over, he ended up with 300 soldiers. How in the world are you going to battle tens of thousands when you only have 300 soldiers? Brothers and sisters, there is a time that we have to learn just to obey God. Do what God says no matter how much sense it makes or how much sense it doesn't make. Because if you'll follow him and you'll obey him, he will give you victories that you can never imagine. You talk about a church split. He went from 32,000 to 300. And guess what God did? God used those 300 to overwhelm the Midianites and the Amalekites. We got to stop looking for a millionaire to come in and provide for us so we can build. All we got to do is give what we have and God will bless it. My grandpa had a grandpa pastored in Kentucky a little bit and right after I was born he had a lady down the street that was really poor and needed food. He was telling this story. This man was praying really hard, Lord, please help sister so-and-so. She needs food. Just crying out to the Lord, needs milk and bread. Please help her, help her. Well, the son heard it. And while the son heard the dad begging God, give this person some milk and bread, 
Well, he didn't disturb his father. He just got in the refrigerator and got in the pantry and got the milk and bread and took it down, tapped his dad on the shoulder. He says, Dad, the Lord's already answered prayer. I want to tell you, God can only use what we give him. And if you will give him your best, he will multiply it. You see, it wouldn't be a miracle if you could understand it. It wouldn't be a miracle if you knew how God was going to cause it to unfold. It would not be a miracle if you could make it happen. It wouldn't be a miracle if you could figure it out. And it wouldn't be a miracle if in any way you could take credit for it. And if we really want a miracle, do we really want a miracle? Then we've got to be ready to go to the prison or be as poor as the the people of Philippi. We have to either be ready to do that and say, God, I'm going to be flat broke. But I'm going to give, and I know that you're going to provide a miracle in my life. We think from our carnal, limited mind and limited resources, but God instructs us from a place whose walls are made of jasper and whose streets are paved with pure gold. We think through a mind that says, this is how much I have, and this is all I have, and this is what I need for tomorrow. But God instructs us from a place whose walls are made of jasper and the streets are made of gold. Please do not limit God. God does not need perfect circumstances to perform a miracle. He can do it from a dry desert or from a raging sea. God sent Philip to a hot, dry, uninhabited, desolate desert to baptize one Ethiopian eunuch. What a revival. He could chart that up as a revival. I baptized one. I don't know what I'd have done if he would have sent me there, but I think I would have gotten there and looked around and said, Now, Lord, what on earth am I doing out here? Why did you send me? There's great revival back there, and why have you taken me out of great revival? To send me to the desert where there's lizards and snakes and and, and cactus. Why would you do this to me, Lord? And yet as he's walking out there, suddenly he saw the dust in the distance. And when he saw the dust in the distance, he didn't sit back and say, well, that's only one person. That's not a revival. I'm not going to, you know, what's the big deal anyhow? No, he started running after the chariot until he finally got up in the chariot. There's the Ethiopian eunuch. He taught him, and then he found water, and they baptized him. It's no accident that we've had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, even in the last 10, 15 years, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in Ethiopia. But it started with one Philip out in the desert. What would happen in our church right now, this building today, if each baptized saint would just say, by by Christmas time, I'm going to baptize one person. What would happen if every baptized believer, by Christmas time, I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to stop talking about it, and I'm going to go baptize one person. 
our wonderful architect would have to start taking walls down out of his plans and expanding buildings. Why? Because we limit God. God help us to stop putting limitations on someone that views what we need from a place that the walls are jasper and the street is gold. It's amazing that you never see Christ advertising a massive revival campaign where he could perform miracles. You never saw billboards and charts. Well, Jesus is going to be here. The Christ is going to be here. You never hear him commission his disciples to rent the biggest auditorium in town and have a massive church service. Never. He simply healed one person at a time. He simply touched one person at a time. And whoever was in front of him, that was the person. Whoever had a need, that was the person. He didn't need a huge auditorium. But you know what happened after he kept touching one person at a time? Within a short time, there's throngs of people. There's people all over. And when they'd come together, there would be thousands of people where Jesus was because he went one person at a time. How many people in this room right now would just say, by God's help, I'm going to find one person between now and Christmas, and I'm going to baptize him in Jesus' name. Come on, by faith. By faith. I'm going to stay here a little while. Keep your hands up. By faith. I want to find one person this year. One person. See, God didn't give us the Holy Ghost for us to sit down and wait on the trumpet to sound. He gave us the Holy Ghost so we could lead, he could lead and guide us into all truth. And then we could reach out and this message could be taken all over the world. The church didn't stay in Jerusalem. That was only where it burst at the seams. We seem to look for numbers, but God always looks for one. Churches do not overbuild Churches under-evangelize. There's no such thing as building too big. There is such a thing as building too small. Because churches do not overbuild. They just under-evangelize. So, so you're in a desert. So maybe you're behind the bars. Or maybe you're bound by exhausting, extenuating circumstances. Maybe your situation is dire and without much hope. Then brother or sister, you are a prime candidate for a miracle. Warren Buffett does not need God to send him a million dollars. But I do. You see, he doesn't need to say, oh, God, I need $3 million to build this building. But I do. I, you see, he doesn't need it. And so if you're in poverty or if you're in a circumstance where you just need, I'm telling you, you're a great candidate for a miracle. Pull your head out of the sand right now. Oh, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. You can. 
You can do what God has given you, and if you give it to the Lord, he'll multiply it. Please don't limit God by your circumstances. The more dire the circumstances, the greater possibility of a miracle. Because I do believe that God can take your, your desert and, make a, and turn it into a rushing river. I read a story a while back. They said that something happened around Australia, and out in the middle of the desert, fish started falling out from the sky. They think a tornado came down and picked up ice and fish and a water spout or something and went up into the sky, the wind blew, and then suddenly in the desert where they didn't have anything, boom, you know, the ice melts and the fish start falling down. Please don't limit God. Some of you don't believe me yet, I can tell you. You're looking at me like, I don't know if I believe him or not. Just believe the word of the Lord. I read scripture. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. God can provide for you in your desert time. He doesn't need your circumstances to be perfect. If it is your time of harvest, then God will give you that harvest, whether or not your circumstances are ideal. We gotta keep building, we've gotta keep dreaming, we must keep reaching, it's harvest time. 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 It's not time for us to lay back and kind of hope something happens. It's time for us to make things happen. You say, I don't know how we're going to do this. I, I don't know how we're going to raise the money. And I don't know this and I don't know that. If I'm guessing, there's probably $5 million a year comes into this church right now. $5 million comes into each one of your pockets. It's not about whether we can or not. It's about whether or not we're willing to trust God with what we have. Please don't limit God. It's harvest time. You can tell people that really believe that Jesus is coming soon because they don't mind trying God's way. Jesus told the disciples, drop your nets. Oh, on the other side, even though you have travailed all night, notice first of all, he said plural nets. So they dropped a net. They dropped a net and it filled up so quickly that they then dropped more nets and then other boats came and dropped their nets until it weighed down all the boats till they almost sank. They had fished all night, professional fishermen, all night and caught no fishes. And yet Jesus, let me remind you, was raised in a carpenter shop. He was not a fisherman. He didn't know anything about fishing. He knew how to build. He knew how to hammer with a nail, with a hammer with a hammer, hammer nails. But he didn't know how to fish. And Jesus standing there that day looks out and says, I know you got your nets clean. And I know it looks like you've done all that you could do. And you're tired and weary. And you're ready to go home to mama. And you're ready to put your head on the pillow. But if you go back out and drop your nets, I promise you, Something great's going to happen. And 
if someone would have been like us sometimes, we looked at him and said, Jesus, you're a wonderful man. And I love you and I trust you most of the time. But we are professional fishermen. We have put nets down everywhere there's fish. And there just isn't any fish going to come into our nets. I know you mean well, but you are a carpenter. How often, oh, brothers and sisters, how often does the Lord use a preacher to stand up here and our pastor declares, believe in God's will. And we go, but if you only knew my circumstances, if you only knew I've done everything I know to do, and how often does God speak through song, through word, through preaching, and we just kind of let it roll off our backs like water off a duck's back, and we just hope that God will rescue you. I want to tell you, God will not rescue you outside of his word. When he speaks his word, you listen and you have faith or you go home empty-handed. Please don't limit God. Even the scripture says it's impossible for us to receive what we need, that it takes the preaching of the word, but then it takes the faith in the word. It takes people that have faith while the preacher is preaching and they have faith in their heart. I can tell you, whoever lives and sits in this room that has faith right now in the preaching of the word, you're going to receive. And those that are just waiting on the spectacular, waiting on God to do something crazy, I'm telling you, you're going to go home just like you came. But if you can have faith while I preach the word, God will supply all of your need. We're looking for the performance in the podium, and God's looking for the performance of faith in the pew. Imagine, imagine, they go back out, drop the nets, and they bring him in. They obeyed God, even though he wasn't a fisherman. I felt this last night, and I don't know who this is, I have no idea, but I felt last night in the middle of the night that somebody here in this church has been instructed by God to give a really great sacrifice to this church. And you're stalling because of the enormity of God's command. Felt it last night, in the, in the middle of the night, and I wrote it down on my iPad, that the Lord has instructed someone here to give a great sacrifice for the furtherance of the gospel. But you're stalling because of the enormity of God's command. Somebody shout with me, bind fear, release faith. Please don't limit God. Bind fear, release faith. Please don't limit God. Turn to your neighbor and say, bind fear, release faith. Please don't limit God. Reach out and pray for somebody next to you. If there's a friend, pray right now. God, in Jesus' name, give us faith to do what you've asked us to do. In the name of Jesus. Please don't limit God.
5,000 people on the hillside and nothing to eat. And they found one boy with five loaves and two fishes. They asked for his lunch and he gave it to Jesus. Think what would have happened if this boy would have been selfish. Think what would have happened if you said, wait a minute, not fair. The other 5,000 or whatever it is, you, it's not fair. You, you can't take my lunch. I'm the only one that prepared. The others ate theirs, and the others just didn't plan. Oh, what if he'd say, why should I give it all? If I give it up, then I'll be hungry also. It's no wonder in the book of Acts, when the outpouring of the Holy Ghost fell, when the church came together, that the Bible indicates that they had all things in common. I had one person tell me just not very long ago, and he said, you know, I, I don't know about tithes in the New Testament. I says, if you want to do it the New Testament way, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I really do, Pastor. I says, good, because they sold all they had and gave it to the church. I said, then you need to put a sign out in front of your house, and then all the money you make from Cummins Engine, you need to give that and move your family into a pup tent. Man, it's getting quiet in here now. You want to go the New Testament way? Let's go, brothers. They gave it all. They sold it all. When's the last time you've sold out completely? That sounds like a terrible thing, but when's the last time you trusted God? Well, you could say, God, I believe I could go down to zero and you could bless me. It's getting quieter by the minute. Because I'm now touching where our faith seems to hit a dead end street. Oh, but God, I'm the only one that's saved. Why should I give it all? I, I, I'm please, God. No, this is no, that boy didn't do it. He just said, here, give it to the master. Do you want to see a miracle? Come on, do you want to see a miracle? Would you like to have it happen to others or would you like to have it happen to you? I don't know why, but every I'm preaching here and I got some of you looking at me like I'm about to trick you. I am not going to trick you. I am not going to put you on the spot, but his word today is true. Do you really want to see a miracle? Would you really like to see a miracle? Would you like to see a miracle in your house? Anybody like to see a miracle in your house? Jump up on your feet and shout amen. Oh, if you don't want it, just stay seated. If you want to see a miracle, jump up and say amen. You can be seated. If we just pray for miracles outside of our home, then others are blessed. But if we have miracles in our house, not only is the church blessed, but we are blessed. See, what would happen if every house believes God for a miracle? Somebody shout to your neighbor, bind fear, release faith. Please don't limit God. We must not limit God to our own understanding. We say we are people of faith, but do we understand most things that happen to us? Can we give a logical explanation for what happens in our life? If we can, then we may not be people of faith as much as we say we are. If you can figure out how it all happened, enough that you almost testify to say, well, you know, I, I, 
I just, I, you know, I did this and just, it's because I'm so good, you know, that God just, you know, uh, you know, can you really figure most things out or does it not logical what God does? I can tell you if it's a miracle, it's not logical. If we are people of faith, we should be humbled often, not able to explain how certain things happened in our life, be speechless by what God did. We should often be in a place that we credit the supernatural for our benefits. We limit God by building barns too small for the harvest. We must expect miracles. We should prepare for miracles, and we need to start living for the miraculous Somebody shout, please don't limit God. Jesus had a tax bill due. He told him to go drop a fishing line into the water and catch a fish. And when you do, a piece of gold will be in its mouth. And some of you look at that as it's a fairy tale, but it really happened. And God can supply for you in ways that you cannot imagine. God's not limited because you're in a desert. God's only limited by our limited faith. The late Robert Schuller said in a book years ago, he said, what would you attempt to do if you knew you would not fail? What would you attempt to do if you knew you would not fail. I say, how much would you give if you knew God would give it back to you? What would you sacrifice if you were certain that God would return your investment two or three times? If you knew God could and he would what would your sacrifice look like what if you knew that God would take your sacrifice into his hands and multiply it and then give it back to you then how much would you sacrifice I'm reminded of a I think it was life is tremendous a book I read many many years ago when I was a young person my mentor would feed me full of books and there was a story of a man that was a carpenter. And his dad, this, this man was a carpenter, and he told his son, now you're an adult now, I want you to build a house. And just, you go build it now. You, you build it right, you do, you do it right. And, and then at the end, when we're done, we'll sit down and look at the numbers and see how well you did. See what kind of building you built. And so the young man started building a house. And he started cutting corners. He didn't blow in as much insulation as he should have. He didn't, he didn't make it his quality because he wanted to impress his dad with numbers. Now his dad was wealthy. He didn't need the numbers. And after he got it all built, he showed him the numbers and he seemed so proud until the dad turned around and said, here's the keys to the house. That's the one you're going to live in. And what would you do if you knew you would not fail? What would you do if you knew God would take that five loaves and two fishes and multiply it and feed thousands? 
How much would you give if you knew God would give it back to you? Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaking together. And running over. That simply means if you give him your best, and if your best is $5, that he's going to take that $5, he's going to press it down, he's going to shake it, and when it returns, it's going to be running over. Give, and it shall be given unto you. I used to pray when we took offering, Lord, bless the giver and bless those that do not give also. Until I realize that's against God's plan. He can't bless people that don't give. If you've got a nickel, you can give him a penny. If you've got a thousand dollars, you can give him a hundred. You see, everybody has to get into the spirit of giving. And God will do something so great. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. With the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. He is the great I am. Do you believe that? He can do the impossible. Amen? Do you believe that God can alter things in your desert? He can change, your, he can change the focus. That suddenly you would be here, and by the time you get through the desert, God can do things, and you will turn your life around. If there's a business owner here today, if you will reach for the harvest, there will always be resources coming in. Get your business involved in the harvest. Get your business involved in the harvest. Why don't you look at your profit last year and say, God, I did all right with the profit I had last year, and in the next two years, everything above that, I'm going to give to God. And if you don't get that, you're missing something really big and you're never going to be blessed. Here's the neat thing about that. You say, oh my goodness, my prophet, I give it to God so we can build. I want to tell you something that happens. That if you give that prophet for two years, guess where the prophet goes the third year? And so God has been able to bless all that you gave him. And the third year, what's going to happen? It's all going to be yours. Or you can just sit back and hope that things work out. Why don't you, if there's any business, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if there be business people here today, why don't you put God on the spot? He said, try me. He said, try me. We've become so logical that we limit miracles in the body. Christ only had five loaves and two fishes. And he fed the 5,000, and when he got done, he had 12 baskets full of fish and loaves left over. He is not the God of just enough. He is the God of more than enough. He fed the prophet in the wilderness. He fed the people of God in the wilderness. Abraham and Sarah birthed the child in their 90s. It rained fish in the desert. You serve a supernatural God. 
The prophet saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. A hand is a small cloud. But the prophet got very excited about the little cloud. He began running faster and faster, faster than the chariots. Get ready, church. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. You see the cloud the size of a man's hand. And you go, God, I was praying for that, but I got this. It's not quite that size. I tell you what you ought to do. You ought to praise him like, you, like it's a million dollars. If you just see the, you see the cloud the size of a man's hand, what we wait for, we wait for that final, oh, it's awesome. We need to praise him because we got a dollar an hour raise. We need to praise him because he enabled us to have less bills and paid off so many things, and now we're better off. we got to learn to praise him for the small things. And if you praise him for the small things, he will start giving you bigger things. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, how big is God? May I try your faith today? Turn to your other neighbor and say, how big is God? Cheryl, I need you to come get ready because you're going to have to play me out of this podium because I could talk all day about what God's doing and what is done. Do you know that God's resources are world class? Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. He is the God of more than enough. A little while ago, we had kind of a quiet young man in our church. He's married. Penny pinchers. I mean, they don't spend money. Because of that, they, they don't have any credit cards See, that's our problem. Think of what we could give if we didn't have credit card bills. If we weren't slave to the borrower. But he didn't. And for a long time, they've been waiting and planning to give because our parking lot seats about, or it takes care of about half of our cars and the others are parking on grass. He started praying, and one day the Lord spoke to him in a real strong nudge. And the Lord simply says, I want your apple. Now, the absolute only thing that this man spends money on is Apple merchandise. He has the biggest, baddest computer that Apple makes. I mean, that real big one with the huge screen. And then before he bought that, he told him to load it up with everything you could load on it. So it's loaded. He has the MacBook and iPod and iPad and phone. It's the only thing he spends money on. Not only does he love Mac products, but for years he's been investing in Apple stock. And he kept buying more and more Apple stock. He bought a bunch and right after he had bought a bunch, 
it just went up and up and up and up. He faithfully gives tithes and offerings every week, has always. And the Lord says, I want your apple. And he said right away like we should, he said, okay, God, I'll give it to you. And then after a few weeks, and he started thinking about it, and that gets us in trouble. And he thought, well, what if I keep the apple stock? It'd just keep going up. If I give it up, you know, can't make money for me. So he went back to the Lord. He says, Lord, I have the amount of, that I have an apple stock in a savings account. What if I just give you my savings account? And the Lord says, no, I want your apple. And he told me, I knew then that it wasn't at all about the amount of money. But it was a amount that I cherished. It was my hobby every day. I would study everything about Apple, and I knew exactly about what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. I can ask him any time, what do you think the new phone's coming out? And he won't tell you exactly because nobody knows, but he'll give you a theory because he studied it. And he says, I knew then. So he brought a check to the church for our capital campaign, $60,000, over $60,000 think anything of it. He did it because the Lord told him to do so. Less than 90 days later, about this time actually, because I was about headed north, and I was leaving my office, and he walked in, he says, Pastor, can I show you something? And he was carrying his laptop. Now, you have to understand this man, he is a, he is a, his degree is in finance. He's a finance guy for a large company, and he absolutely tracks his net worth every single day. He can tell you today if I called him and says, hey, bub, you know what your net worth is? He could tell you probably to the penny. He's that kind of a guy. He knows where every, and he, he walked in and he opened his laptop up and he said, look at this pastor. He said, remember when I gave my Apple stock? Yeah. He says, you know, I don't have a lot of money. But he says, look at this graph. And it showed when he gave the apple stock to the Lord that his net worth dropped all the way down here. And he said, it's almost the first of June. And look what's happened already. And in 90 days, his net worth, after he gave that much of it, in 90 days, his net worth went up 11%. And he says, I don't have any idea how it happened. I didn't do anything spectacular. I don't understand it. And with tears in his eyes, he says, I'm going to give more and more and more. By the end of that calendar year, his net worth had gone up after he gave 17%. Because you cannot outgive God. We started a capital campaign. We had four families that make close to 100000 He's one of them that on top of that says, I'm going to give more than 100000 In essence, let me tell you what's happening. They are giving in 36 months a whole year's salary. We've got over 20 families that are giving over a whole year's salary in 36 months. Please don't limit God. 
His net worth keeps climbing. He gives more to the church right now than he has for himself. And just a few months ago, I noticed he was giving even more. I says, what's up? He said, the Lord keeps blessing, and I'm going to keep giving. And let me tell you what's going to happen when 36 months is up. That dude's going to be so wealthy because he just keeps giving and God keeps blessing and he keeps giving. Do you believe that God can bless your money? Do you believe that God can bless your money? Come on, do you believe that God, do you really believe God can bless you? Another one of our couples that, that committed $100,000 in a 36-month period. Another one of our couples committed $100,000. They don't even make $100,000 a year. So they're, they committed more than they had. And he, and he looked at his money. He says, there's no way I can afford it. And he did something that caused me to quake and shake as a pastor. And it did. I wanted badly. I kept wanting to say no. And he just looked at me. He says, Pastor, I know what you're going to say. It's already done. He withdrew it from his 401k. And didn't set well with me. And I'm just like, come on, bud. He says, nope, the Lord told me to do it, and I'm going to do it. I said, well, I know God will bless you. <laughs> One year ago, he withdrew the 80-some thousand he had in his 401K. And he started giving so he could reach that 100,000 that he'd committed. And at the end of this last year, his wife's grandfather passed away. They didn't like the church very much, but uniquely I preached the funeral. And within a short time, the grandmother passed away. Had no idea this was going to happen. The problem was, is that the grandmother was a backslider from years ago and had cut her granddaughter out of the will because she was mad. So only the grandson and the son was going to receive the couple million dollars. And at the last minute before she passed on, her son went in and says, you're not going to do that. And unbeknownst to this couple, the will changed. And suddenly, these folks that emptied their 401k because the Lord said, I can do it, will be millionaires. And they're looking for a beautiful home right now. And they've already passed up giving what the Lord spoke to them to give. Please don't limit God. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to beleaguer this because I just know God wants to do something in your life. We just... You know, we had something very personal happen to us. We, I was in another city in Illinois preaching just a while back. And, and if you know how I gather money for a vacation, I'm headed for Canada here in a week from right now. In two hours and one week and two hours. And I head toward the island up on the Lake of the Woods. I look forward to it all year. I, I'm not smart enough to have a vacation savings account. Um, I hoard checks in my wallet, or I put them somewhere and I hide them. And then I start collecting money in the back of my wallet, the $100 bills. So I had collected 
little bit of money for spending money for vacation and hundreds. And I was preaching, and right in the middle of the sermon, the Lord told me to just go over there and empty your wallet, put it on the altar. Now, it would have been okay if he would done it when I had 20 bucks. But what are you doing? I got more money in my wallet than I've had all year, God. And you know I only got, you know, not many weeks, and I'm headed north. And I mean, I, th this is it. This is my vacation. This is, well, uh, uh. I thought about it, and I thought, well, I'll give him most of it, but maybe not that. And he spoke to me again. He says, go ahead, try me. And I did. I dumped my wallet. I dumped my wallet on the altar and four or five hundred dollars. Wasn't in my home church, somewhere else. I challenged everybody to do the same. Of course, you know the first one that came up at that challenge? My wife. She dumped everything she had for vacation. And now we're really broke. I didn't even see her do that, but she told me right afterwards. I, I, I looked at her and I says, we need to get a drink or something. And I don't have any cash left. She says, I don't either. And I says, what? He said, well, you said try God. I said, yes, I did. She gets a call yesterday from her sister, out of the blue, that there was a step-grandmother, not blood, a step-grandmother named Opal Schilling that died long, long time ago that they just discovered that on a place that she had mineral rights, that they found oil and told her and her sister that you get to split this and just the lease or just to let us try to find oil, each of you are going to get $5,000. And as long as I'm married to her, I'm going to get part of it. That just happened yesterday. I got chills going up and down my spine right now. I don't know how to tell you this, but you cannot outgive God. We say it, but we don't practice it. Year, many years ago in Columbus, we sold everything we had, sold our house, sold our car, sold our boat, sold our piano. We didn't have anything but the clothes on our back. Moved into a little apartment in the church, lived on nothing. In fact, lived on about 17,000 and the next year, 12,000. It was nothing. It was crazy. It was during the recession of the 80s. And, 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 and we brought a bunch of money from our other home. We just threw it all in, had revival, and the Lord started multiplying the church. And one day I woke up and I had a really nice custom van. I had a really nice boat, and my house was almost paid off. And it wasn't very many years after we had given it all, and I, her and I looked at each other and said, how did this happen? We didn't have a pay increase, but the Lord sent along a van, a wealthy guy, and took his buddies to Vanderbilt football games, bought it for 27000 and his older buddies couldn't get up and down the bleachers, so he took it back in and tried to sell it back to them, and they offered him $8,000 one year later. He got so mad. He stormed out of the place, ran into my father-in-law, and he calls me. He says, you know, this van's sitting out there. It's worth $27,000. I said, but I don't want to make the dude mad. I can't afford it. He said, hey, 
can't hurt offering him something. So I offered him $11,000. I said, that's sight unseen. I'll go pick it up. I knew what it was. And sure enough, the dude said, okay. So now I have this beautiful van. I, I bought an old boat for five, $6,000 and decided to restore the teak in the winter. I, just, I'm not, I don't know anything about that, but I did it just because it was fun. I didn't even restore it right. You know, you're supposed to just do other stuff, but I actually sanded it and, and put stuff on it. But it was beautiful what I got done. And it was in the shop ready to go to Canada. And a man walked in. He said, this is a beautiful boat. This is exactly the boat I want. Call the man. Tell him I want to buy it. And so the, the marina called me and said, the guy wants to buy your boat. I said, can't have my boat. I'm leaving Monday for Canada. He said, you need to listen to his offer. I said, no, he can't have my boat. I don't have a boat and I can't go. He said, I'll sell you a new boat. I said, I can't afford your boats and I'm not going to pay a boat payment. He says, well, how about 12900 for a boat you paid five, 6000 for? I said, what? And he says, and I will sell you a brand new one. And when you get done, you'll only owe $4,000. So now I have a beautiful boat and a beautiful van, a house that's almost paid for. And I don't make any more money than what I did before. Because sometimes God can put it in your hand, and other time he can make your dollar go longer and farther than it's ever gone before. Please don't limit God. Would you like to see a miracle? 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 God cannot bless the money you have in your bank account or hidden under your mattress. He can only multiply the possessions that you give to him. What if the boy with the lunch would have said, yes, I want to see a miracle, but I want to keep my lunch to him myself. If you invest in this church, God will give you more than you've ever had. For Jesus said, give, and it shall be given. We think, God, if you will do this for me, you know, all these folks that say, Pastor, as soon as I win the lottery, Man, you won the lottery. You're an American. Do you know how many people would love to just trade you places? You won the, the lottery. You're an American. And if this happens and if that happens and this happens and that, we're all talking about this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens. And there's someone down the street, three or four doors, and you just need the childlike faith to reach in the cupboard and give what you have. And God will provide a miracle. My wife and I went almost broke again this year. And we're happy. Living in the cabin out in the middle of the woods. You don't see any anxiety on me. I got somebody now wanting to build me a new home. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to live in a new home. I may give that one to him too. Who knows? You know, I got a couple old cars I'm driving. They're getting beat up, and I live in the country, and that one's so dirty. And, I'm just telling you right now, I've never given to God where he didn't bless it many times over. And God is only limited by your faith. And whatever you can have faith for, 
God can do. My concern is not that you're going to overbuild. My concern is that you may under-evangelize. If you could win 10% of your community, several thousand people, stop thinking about two or three hundred and four or five hundred and start realizing there's a whole world out there that needs Jesus Christ. And a lot of them are wonderful people that go to church every week and they don't feel what y'all felt here today. Did you feel the Holy Ghost here today? Wasn't that music awesome? I'm telling you, I was jealous of as all get out. That sounds wonderful. The harmony's good. The, you know, the piano and the drums and the guitars and everybody. It's just done wonderful. Who wouldn't want to come to a church like this? I promise you right now that you can't limit God. Stop thinking so small and understand that heaven's his throne, earth is his footstool. What house can you build for me anyhow? You can't build it too big. You can't dream too big. You can't under-evangelize, but you can't overbuild. And so why don't we, everybody in this building, every person, if you have the Holy Ghost, would you raise up your hand right now if you have the Holy Ghost? Y'all that have the Holy Ghost, do you like having the Holy Ghost? You can put your hands down. And every person in this room that has the Holy Ghost ought to be able to commit to win one soul this year. I'm right down where we are now. Because we're not building buildings because we want bigger buildings. This is all about people. It's about the hurting. It's about the families that are falling apart. It's all about people. What's it going to look like a year from now? Who's going to be sitting next to you? Dream about it a little bit. What, who are you going to win to the Lord? And you can say, I'm going to have to put a chair right here. Because I'm going to bring that person to the Lord. And I'm going to put a chair right here. And all these, oh, think about it right now. Is it hard to win one soul? Oh, my goodness. We had a fallen away not long ago. And I said, Lord, he says, what are you afraid of? And I said, I don't know how to get from here to here. He says, well, what are you thinking? I says, I just need 10 new families, Lord, that are saved, sanctified, and discipled. And the Lord looked over the balcony like this, and he went, 10, huh? Hmm. And I felt like a pea brain. His message to me was, you only need 10? You're worried about 10 families? You know what he did? Within a year and a half, we, we baptized some new ones, but within a year and a half, 10 families moved in from all over the world. I never have move-ins. We had a couple. He was the English pastor in Spain. He was the assistant pastor of the Spanish work. Speaks fluent Hebrew and, and English and Spanish. Wife's missionary's daughter. They wanted to come back to America to start a family, so they moved to I don't even know them. They moved to Columbus, Indiana from Spain. We had several couples. One of them was one of my sons, finished law school in Michigan, and he had all these judges up there. There's one of them to stay, and 
got married, and he says, hey, my wife and I, we want to move to Columbus. I went, what? I had no way, and Ryan and Ashley moved back to Columbus. Have another family that had to move for work many years ago. Found a better job back in Columbus. Boom, here comes the third family. And on and on. And within a year and a half, the Lord put 10 families in our church. It didn't come from a neighboring church, none of them. The only one that came from a neighboring church was two pastors that says, we, we want to stop pastoring and move to your church for a while. That was it. Everybody else from far away. In the evacuation, it was kind of like the Gideon moment. $120,000 worth of ties went out the door. And in a year and a half, we have made all of that up with new people. And in that year and a half, the church gave in one year's time over three quarters of a million dollars out of their pocket our first year and committed 2.5 million. I only need 5 million and we're going to get there. You know why? I'm not going to preach that I believe God so much that if I jump on this chair, it's going to hold and it falls through. I'll tell you why. Because I've got some people that says, I believe that if I give to him, that he'll give it back. No matter what the amount, no matter what the sacrifice, I know if I give, it shall be given. If I could read to you the miracles that take place, here's what you don't know about me. I'm not the guy that preaches about money. I hate raising offerings. It is one of my weaknesses. I don't like to mess with it. But the Lord has anointed me to tell you today that if you limit him by your faith, you'll dread it and regret it the rest of your life. But if you will try him, you take a chance on all kinds of stuff. Take a chance on God. He will press it down, shake it together, and it will run over. Give me five. Yeah. He will do it for you because he's no respecter of persons. Please don't limit Close your eyes. Now, I know God's talked to many people here today. And he probably hasn't said the same thing to any of you. But he has the ability to do this right now. I'm not here to take an offering. I am here to tell you that if you'll trust him, it will be the best move you've ever made in your entire life. If you're here today and you say, starting right now, even if I have in the past, starting right now, I'm going to learn to trust Him. All you, want, all you want to do today is just say, yes, Lord. I'm going to learn to trust you. And if you're here right now and you want to make that commitment, why don't you rise up out of your pew and let's walk down this aisle and let's dedicate this altar by saying, Lord, I'm going to learn 
to trust you. If you don't feel in your heart, stay where you are. But if you feel in your heart, you're ready to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do, Lord. But I promise I'm going to learn. I mean, if you can't trust Christ, who can you trust? Come on down. Come on down close. Yes, Lord, I'm not going to limit you by my limited faith. I'm going to learn to trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Just make the commitment, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to launch my faith into new heights. I'm going to believe you for more than I ever could imagine. Oh, Lord, help me to see our 300 new friends that are about to start coming to this church. When I pray, Lord Jesus, Lord, let it rise up within me, all of those wonderful folks that are about to come into the church. I'm going to learn to trust you. Now, why don't you reach out right now to him? Pour your heart out to him and just say, Father, forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for questioning whether you could, for putting limitations on you. Now, God, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to learn to trust you, Lord Jesus. account and know that you're in God's hands. 